This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For the past 20 years, I've been working in the apparel industry, sourcing, buying, and printing t-shirts for my clients. The one brand I return to every time is Bella Canvas. They cover all the bases, style, sustainability, color selection, and wearability. These really are the softest shirts available. The best news is they cut their fabric in Los Angeles. And for any of us that know the apparel industry, we know what a big deal this is. Whether you're looking for t-shirts, sweatshirts, joggers, tanks, or long sleeves, Bella Canvas really does have you covered. The best news is that Bella Canvas now has a retail line available at shop.bellacanvas.com, where you can find more information about this amazing company and discover online exclusives. Use the code DBI2021 at checkout to receive 20% off your first order. Limit one per customer. Bella Canvas really did fuel the t-shirt movement. Be different. Be Bella Canvas. Dear wise matriarch, what God has intended for our mothers to embody, you have personified. I'm humbled by your examples of leadership time after time. Your energy is a wellspring of endeavors to be carried to their accomplishments for the benefit of we who are in compromising conditions. I can attest firsthand that you have demonstrated how a love that is truly unconditional translates in this physical world. Your love is a verb, how precious you are. Thank you profoundly for the many lessons you have and do teach. That's from my son, who's in prison. One in five women in the United States have a close family member who is currently incarcerated. This week, we talked to Lorraine Ha, better known as Mrs. Didi, a longtime activist working to abolish death by incarceration sentences. Mrs. Didi is one of many in marginalized communities who have relatives that were victims of violent crime and others that are incarcerated. Her only son is serving life in prison. Mrs. Didi is honest and thoughtful. She helps us understand the relationship between crime and punishment for too many of our communities and how mass incarceration has destroyed families. This is a difficult episode, and some might find the language and subject matter triggering. This week's call to action. Call your local DA's office and ask if they have a primary caretaker diversion program. If not, ask why. Thank you for listening. Well, my real name is Lorraine, but um, the world knows me, especially the insiders, know me as Mama Didi. So that's what I always go by. I grew up in, in, in a poor neighborhood. I'm Puerto Rican by, by nationality. I was born Puerto Rican. I had nine brothers, two sisters, and 
I was an addict and in my early 20s. I was an addict for many years. So I say that to say that my kid, he never had a chance to begin with being a child and only child of a, an addicted mother. And I've been in and out of jails, you know, but I thank God every day that I'm, I'm going on 23 years that I've been away from all of that. Clean, sober as the sky, don't smoke cigarettes, but all because of God. I have to always talk about my God because he's the one that took me out of where I was at and took care of me and gave me forgiveness to a point where I'm, I had a younger brother that was killed back in 1992. And that was my first brother that was ever murdered by gun violence. And of course I went deeper into my addiction, but I never lost a brother like that. You know, let alone a younger brother. That took a big part of me away. And like I said, I went deeper into my drugs. But I'm with time, you know, I hated everybody. I hated the world. I was angry at the world because I was missing my younger brother. I had wished that the guy that killed them, that they would kill him so that his mother and his family could feel the pain my mother and my family and myself were going through. And if I was able to kill him with my bare hands, I would have. Thank God I didn't. And I'm glad that they didn't listen to me asking them to go ahead and execute him because with time, you know, and that's why I always tell you, only because of the grace of God, I've forgiven this young man that took my brother's life because see, the same way that my brother was my brother, someone's son, he's also someone's brother, someone's son. And I didn't like who I was every day that I woke up angry, full of bitter, full of hatred. I didn't like who I had become that person. I didn't like it. And as soon as I was able to forgive this man from my heart, it was like my whole life changed. But it was nothing because God was preparing me that down the road, my only son, when he was 18 with three months, got incarcerated. My baby boy getting ready to be 45. He's been incarcerated 27 years. And he didn't even take a life, you know, and I'm, I'm in this fight so hard for him, but not only for him, for everybody that's going through this in the same predicament that he's in. You know, I'm in this fight for everybody, everybody that's been wrongly imprisoned, given you know, it's, it's an incredible how people have a, t and, it, and it makes me angry how people keep saying, oh, our, our, our justice system is broke. No, it's never been broke. It was built to do what it does, what it's been doing all these centuries. We need to break it from the ground up. It's never been broke. It was built to be against me and mine, the black and the browns and the poor whites. It was built for that. So they've been doing exactly what it was built for. Living and making a living off the backs of our loved ones. You know, and it's, and if let's keep it a hundred because of the color of our skin and who we are. Because I've seen people 
when I say people, I mean the Caucasian people, do the same crime that one of our people done, and because they have money and the color of their skin, they were able to get off on probation or parole. Yet I was just sit there and rock till God felt that, you know, they got to come home. This is why I fight so hard. But I tell you, my son never had a chance from the door because he had an addict for a mother. So his chances were already shot out the window. When he was incarcerated, I was lost to the world. And for the first three years of his incarceration, I wasn't there. And then just sitting, just sitting on the steps with a pocket full of money and a pocket full of dope. I was just tired and realized my baby needs me because nobody's going to fight for him the way I'm going to fight for him. So I had bench warrants. I got myself together, did my year and a half on my bench warrant, got everything cleaned. And that day that I came out, I went and go visit my son. I didn't know the rules of the jailhouse, of the prison where he was at, but I know that I'm, we weren't allowed to wear underwire bras. So me in the state of mind that I'm in, all I'm worried about is seeing my son after three years that I haven't seen him. So I stuck my hand in the back of my blouse and I took my bra out and told them, well, I'm just gonna put my bra in the locker. But because I always wear dark clothes, they just looked at me, but they let me go see my son. And I'm thinking, in the way in the world, I'm gonna let a bra keep me from seeing my child. By the time I got in to visit him, the news already got back to him about what I did. He, the first thing he, he comes out and said, Ma, is it true? I said, is what true? He said, they say you put your bra, I said, yes. And then I grabbed them and I kissed them and I hugged them. If they were up to me, I would have never let him go. And it took me several years to get used to that noise of the gates shutting and me saying goodbye to my kid. But I'll never forget it. And that's what I keep in the front of me that my baby told me, Mom, as long as you're okay, I can do this. I just need you to be all right. Because I was scared that one day somebody was going to let me know that they found you dead or something. That's what keeps me besides my God, first my God. But because those words, they never left me. And um, as far as I'm a victim's advocate person, because I I don't even want to waste my brush saying her name. They never did nothing for my family. They never even reached out to my family till I started opening my mouth. And when they started hearing me saying that I forgive this man and I started talking, then they reached out to my mama. And I told them, no, don't do that. Because on our side of the family, we've forgiven him. He has to answer to God for what he did. But we forgive him. And um, they have a tendency of saying that there's no such thing as <laughs> on both sides, that there's no such thing as being on both sides, yes, there is. Because I have a son that's incarcerated, but I had a brother that was taken away by murder. So what part of one or the other does not make me a victim? What part of one or the other does not qualify me as a victim? You know, and, and, and that was the thing with this person. And 
I couldn't understand it, so I would go. So I would tell you, I'd dress in um in the Grinch costume. I've I've done so many crazy things, but I've always said if I could tie myself to the top of City Hall and chain myself so that somebody can hear the suffering that we go through, because when my son was incarcerated, that same day I was incarcerated. And I'm still today incarcerated till my baby comes home. And, and it, I do whatever I have to do to get my voice heard. Because like I said, this judicial system that's in Pennsylvania, particularly in Philadelphia, it was built not to help us, but to harm us, to, to make us feel worth less than dirt and to hurt us. It's never been for us. So where the part of justice is at? No, that means that this thing is just us, the unfortunate ones that's looked upon as we're worthless. And I don't know what else to tell you, but um, as you can see, I got my cabbie shirt on. That's Coalition to Abolish Death by Incarceration. And I'm going to do this to the day that God brings me home. Because when so my baby people. come home, because I know my baby come home, we're going to, that's another ally I bring on my, on my shoulder to fight for the rest of them that are in there. So because just, unless we're all free, none of us are free. Just so the people know, how much time your son is serving? He already, life without parole. That means life. That and means because, he'll die in there. And I ask for the people that's listening to it on the radio, uh, that's going to be listening to it. When you say he didn't take a life, can you explain that a little bit? So they, I know what you mean, but for the people that's listening. Yeah. He happened to have been in a group that went to rob a drug dealer that was orchestrated by someone older than they are. And then that same person that orchestrated this went down to the corner where the people of the building was at and told them what was taking place. So one of the three people that was in there with my son shot somebody and killed them. But my son didn't kill him. And that's what I mean by he didn't take a life. But he's serving as if he did. Yes. So he got second degree? Yes. You know, and, and that's the thing that we are that we want to address, like the second degree felony charge, which automatic get somebody a life sentence, even if they wasn't the perpetrator of the actual crime. And yes. that's what a lot of people don't understand. But to the people, they may say, wait a minute, Miss Diddy, you only speaking this passionate because you have a son locked up. What would you say to that? Well, if that were true, I would have never forgiven the guy that took my brother's life. My son wasn't arrested until several years after that happened. I had forgiven that young man. So no, I'm passionate about this because it's not just my son. It's everyone's son, everyone's father, everyone's mothers, because let's not forget the females. We have a lot of mothers that are incarcerated. So I'm passionate about people, period. It's not even about just my son. If I can fight and there's the bill that'll take some people Bring them home. That's what I'm about. 
If it's only going to bring one or two person home, no, I'm going to fight it because it's unfair. But if it's going to bring more than 20 people home, yeah, I'm going to vote, even if my son's not included in that. Because this fight is not just my son. This fight is about us, us as a people, and regardless of what color skin we got, especially us that are born in the ghettos that are less fortunate than those that that wouldn't. How many of you guys have someone who's incarcerated, you know someone who's incarcerated, or God forbid your own child is incarcerated? I'm glad to know, one, I'm not alone, but two, I want to thank you for being bold, and three, I want you to realize that I realize some of us won't raise our hand for, for many different reasons. I understand that, you know, there is, a, there is a major, major, major stigma that goes along with being incarcerated. I understand that there's judgment that occurs. And some of us are ashamed. Some of us are even embarrassed to admit that. But you know, I have to admit even I was that person before my daughter was incarcerated. I was that person who looked at a criminal and said, I should be afraid of that person. Not only should I be afraid of that person, but I also should look at them as once a criminal, always a criminal. They'll never change. So don't give them a second chance. Just throw them away. I was that person, and I am terribly ashamed to admit it. I think people should know, right, that uh, several years ago when Ms. Didi and other people took on this challenge to get a bill for second-degree murder, uh, there wasn't a lot of people out. And fast forward now, two, three years later, we see a lieutenant governor in Pennsylvania that has taken on the challenge that y'all put at the table. Because, yes. you know, let's get credit to what it's due. Nobody was talking about getting guys with second degree home. Wow. And today we have seen a number, a significant number of people being commuted, um, um, which I still think is unjust, right? But it's a, it, it, they home, they home with their yes. on second degree. And it, it is important to point out that that's the fruit of y'all work. That's y'all work. Even though y'all probably don't get the credit for it because the Lieutenant Governor um, has a high profile name, but those of us that's been in the trenches, those of us that's been observing and watching, that is your work that's being taking place right now through the lieutenant governor. You know, yes. how did you feel? How did you feel? Because I remember when um when they was talking about commuting somebody with a second degree, which is somebody that worked for the lieutenant governor. I'm not going to mention the name. I um, know who you're talking about. That y'all was behind it, pushing for this. And to me, it's mind-blowing that you pushing for something, right? But you never, ever say, I just want my son out first. You never done that. And that shows the type of person that you are that show your character when it comes to arrogancy. And I just want to let you know that, that we notice that because a lot of people, they do is that I'm just fighting for my son. You always took the stand where I'm fighting for everybody's son and daughter. And I just think that that is something that most advocates don't carry. A lot of people that get involved in this movement is because they want they love one out, and once they love one come home, they forget about the rest. Mm -hmm. And we know that 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 happens. But you never done that. You always say 
I don't care if my son get the chance or not. As long as we get somebody out, that's yes. the matter. Yes. Kevin, you, Kevin. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I think that <clears throat> we need to make that the norm for activists. Because for every story, personal story, how many thousands of others are there? And when there's many, many, many men and women that are locked up that don't have family advocates, that are just lost. They're gone. They've disappeared into a deep and dark place that was put there purposely to break their humanity. And the more that Suave and I are talking to people, the more I realize how deep and dark this is. You know? And what's the worst thing you can do to somebody? Remove their humanity. Make them a number. Make them just another statistic. And when you mentioned your son, I think it's important to point out that for many, many people, that this is the... When they get out of prison this is their first chance. It's not their second chance because they weren't given an opportunity as a child to have healthy relationships with their community, with their families, with the society as a whole, because there is that opportunity just isn't there. We also got to point out that most victims are used the same way that witnesses are using court you know, they, yes. they they always use the victims when it's time to put somebody in jail or to keep somebody incarcerated, yes. right? Yes. Let's also point out that most victims' advocates are white. Most people mm-hmm. that run these victim advocacy groups are white from suburban, right? So there's still a little bit of racism when it comes to these issues. There's a whole lot of racism. And a lot of people like to stay away from that because it's like, no, we're talking about victims. No, 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 we're not. Because most victim advocates do not come in neighborhoods like the neighborhoods we come from. That's right. And look for people like Didi. You know, that's right. This is a prime example of somebody that was a victim and then her son was accused. And I say accused because he never took a life. He was with somebody else, and you know, and that's just the law in Pennsylvania, right? Yes. So now she knows both sides of the of the fences. So when she say, I forgive somebody, right? Shouldn't we respect that as victim advocates? Of course we should respect that. All the way. The same way we respect somebody that's white when somebody say, I forgive them, right? But, sure. but because we come from marginalized communities and communities where people think, well, she just talking because she just want her son out. We disregard that she was victimized first. And for the record, most people that commit offenses are people that's been victims themselves. Yes. Proving the numbers don't lie. Shouldn't we take that in consideration too? Before we put somebody away for life? Yes. Shouldn't we talk to somebody like Miss Didi before we make a decision on to say we locking everybody up and we don't want to hear whether they transform or not? No. If mm. anything, Miss Didi should be assigned to the ball of victim advocacy because she's bring fairness. She brings something that a lot of victim advocates don't have, which is living experience. Because if you go to the neighborhoods where she come from, the neighborhood where I come from, you see this every day. Every day. 
somebody yes. that's got a loved one in prison and somebody that also has somebody that's been harmed or killed yeah. by gun violence in the city of Philadelphia. And I yeah. just want to make sure that that goes on record because a lot of people think that, well, victim advocates don't support convicts or felons, right? And I tell them no. I tell them no. I say, here we have somebody that's an advocate, not just a victim advocate, an advocate for fairness. Because it's also fair to say that Miss Didi just don't talk about people incarcerated. Miss Didi mm-hmm. also represent people that's been home. When somebody's been home and they call Miss Didi, Miss Didi is there. Yes, she's there. She just don't say, "Well, I, I support um, um people incarcerated, so I don't do that." No, she understands both sides of the fence, so she's able to bring some healing to the other party. And I just wanted to say that because. I think it get lost in the conversation when we talk about victim advocates and advocate spirit. You know, people yeah. think that advocates just want to open the, the gates of the prison and let everybody out. That's no, not the case. No, that's far from the truth. Well, we talked. you talked about second-degree murder, which is an LWAP offense in Pennsylvania. We call it conspiracy here in California. And I've got a friend that's serving 30 years right now for, for conspiracy. <laughs> in a murder that he didn't even know was going on. He was in the getaway car already. And one of his, the other guys that were there shot a cop Mm. on the way out and California, the law changed. So conspiracy. Now they're reducing sentences on for all murders other than murders that involve peace officers, which makes one life more important than the other again. So he's still serving time. He, he went to a resentencing hearing. The judge basically just said, no, we're not there was a cop involved not happening and guess what his name is miguel (laughs) you know shocking right and hopefully we'll have him on the show at some point the not only does is the system set up to go in and essentially target viciously people of color but the sentencing is set up in the same way yes and i think if his name was kevin mccracken he may not have been looking at life or a sentence that looked like life because it's he's getting sentenced to 30 years as a Latino man. And we know the life expectancy in the U S is much shorter for Latino men, mm-hmm. you know? So when you're serving your natural life in prison, regardless of whether they call it life without parole, <laughs> it's still life without parole. It's life death. is life. Yeah. So how I think that the conspiracy part of things, the murder in the second degree, you know, we, we talk, Suave and I talk a lot about how do we solve these things. These are calls that we can make to our representatives really easily. And state reps are not that hard to get a hold of. They really are not, yeah. surprisingly. And it's this is not a federal issue. So people get confused. They want to call their senator. They want to call their, you know, their House of Representatives rep in in Washington. But the reality of it is you got to call your state reps and get your state laws yes. changed. Yes. And it's a, it's a really important fact to point out to people that a lot of the individuals that are in prison for second degree murder had no idea that a murder was going on and did not participate in that. They were there. Yeah, they were there. They were there to rob somebody. Most that I've met, especially people that have been incarcerated a long period of time are willing to take responsibility for their part. And even for the victim of the murder, they're willing to take responsibility for. And I think the, the work that you're doing inside and out we should really talk about this, this restorative work, you know, where we're allowing victims to, to 
to both feel whatever they feel, but also confront and discuss what happened with the accused or the person that the actor in the, in the crime, that is the only way we're going to start healing. And I know the restorative justice program in San Quentin got dropped. Why? Why? I mean, in such a progressive, progressive, I say sarcastically a little bit prison. Why are we losing programs like this? Yeah. Why aren't we listening to, we're listening to victims advocacy groups use victims to their benefit to increase sentencing because of fear. Yeah. Fear of what the other, the same thing this country has been doing for 200 years. So how, and you know what's funny about that, Kevin, that they have a tendency of saying, let's lock them up because that way it'll make our community safer. Mm-hmm. Well, damn it, where's the safety at in that? Because I find my community, more people are dying, yeah. dropping like flies than before. So where's the safety to all of this? On the contrary, let these men that have done so many years come out and start schooling these young boys. They don't give a damn about life nowadays because they don't have someone teaching them yeah. that jail is not a joke. Yeah. You know, that is serious business when you have to spend the rest of your life in there. When you can instead spend it out here and becoming somebody, being somebody. But because we got their mamas and their daddies incarcerated for umpteen years and umpteen years, then these kids got nobody to turn to but the streets. And the streets ain't going to show them nothing but death, drugs, and abuse. So where's the safety in here is what I what keeps going over my head with these victim advocates. You know, and where victim advocate to me should be where it works for both sides. Because you have one side of a quarter, but a quarter is not a quarter unless you count both sides. You don't go to the store and spend one side of the dollar bill and tell them, give me the dollar back till I come back to spend the other mm-hmm. side of it. No, they both go together. So why can we come up with programs to where, yeah, everyone grieves differently. Everyone deals with their grief different. But if you got somebody constantly in your ear reminding you the pain you and your family went through, remember what they did to your brother, and remember how you heard it and you and your mom was crying, then of course that victim is always going to go against the perpetrator of the crime. But if you got someone that'll sit there and y'all get together, and I'm saying this because one time I did meet up with a group like that, but not with that lady that was in charge of it, the one with Allison I can't say her last name, but she was in charge of it. And I went in there apprehensive because I knew I'm on both sides and two other females that was with me on both sides. But it was about 10 of them that were just victims. So, you know, so when it was my turn to talk, I made sure that I let them know, you know, I'm not here to judge no one. I'm also by the same token, I'm not here to be judged. I'm not here to tell you how to deal with your pain. I'm not here to tell you how to grieve because we all grieve different. I'm here to tell you how I dealt with my grief and my pain Mm -hmm. on losing my brother. And I let them know about my son being incarcerated. And believe it or not, that, I mean, they, they shocked me so much that I was on cloud nine for about a good month behind that get together with these other women. Because I expected them to say, nah, but you're talking like that because you have a son that's arrested. And all. 
No, they saw my point of view. But that's because I took the time out to let them know it's okay to hurt. It's okay to yell and, and feel the way we feel because we're hurt. But it's also okay to want to forgive. Is it easy? Nah. Checker, a longtime partner of my company, Social Imprints, is a sponsor of this podcast. Checker is a fair chance employer and the leading technology company in the background check industry. They're building a fairer future through technology that balances trust, safety, and fairness. A past record should not be a barrier to the pursuit of life and professional successes. Checker helps companies and candidates achieve their goals with products like Assess, Candidate Stories, and help with candidate expungements, among others. To learn more about Checker, these expungement services, or how to become a fair chance employer, go to Checker at Checker.com. Thank you, Checker. Is it easy? Nah. But see, my, my, my closure to me, and I can only speak for me, closure would mean having my brother back in my life. I'm not, that's not never going to happen. So the minute he pat you that he was murdered, closure went out the window. But like I said, everybody grieves different. But we shouldn't hatred and bitter and anger. It's like a cancer that grows in you. You know, and, and it's not killing the person that took your brother's life. It's it was killing me, destroying me inside. And and it took me a minute to realize this. And when I when I forgiven this young man, it was like something opened up in me to where life was, wow, brand new, different from how I was looking at it. So that's what I have to tell people that have gone through it. I don't tell them don't grieve, cause no, you crazy. We're humans. Yeah, you grieve, you go through the motions. But see, when I hated that young man, I was fresh in my emotions. So that's why I said the things I said within time. Then I started to realize, wow, he's somebody's son. He's somebody's brother. Just like my brother was my brother. My brother was my mom's son. And, you know, what would I get if they killed him? Nothing. What would I gain if his mother suffered what my mother suffered? Nothing. It's not going to bring my brother back. So I want to live a life letting people know it's okay for us to be angry, upset, and hurt. Let's just not live on that side, though, because in the long run, we're killing each other with this bitter and this anger and this hatred. Let's learn to forgive and work with each other, and let's heal together so that we can come up with more solutions on how we can prevent things like this from continuously happening. Yeah. Well... And it validates the system when you when people continue the hate, right? Yes. Because yes. if we look at, you know, and Suave is a great example of this. Yes. He saw his grandfather get murdered. So he lost that mentor. Yes. He, the man in his life that was that was doing well, had his own barbershop, could mentor him and be that father figure to him was gone when he was young. And then that victim turns into an actor because they haven't they haven't had that mentorship. And so That's right. then he goes to prison, turns a corner in his life that the system doesn't like necessarily, or doesn't normally yeah. allow. And now is out and is mentoring men and young people going to speak as much as he can doing this podcast because that it's so lacking. So we're incarcerating 
young men and women for murders that they didn't commit. And the example that I've been using that I think is a fair one right now is, can you imagine, honestly, and can any of our listeners imagine what the Capitol riot would have looked like if that was all black and brown men come on, coming in there? Come on, let's not start talking about that. Come on. But, it would have been so different that it would have freaked all of us out. But even even if they did exactly the same action... And they still would have went to jail. Every one of them would be looking at a second-degree murder charge. If not, six feet deep. Yeah. So, so let's keep it 100. Yeah. This country is built on racism. Yeah. It's built on racism. Let's keep it 100. That's how it's built. Yeah. We yeah. got to start nipping at that. First by, like, putting the right people in office. Yeah. That means getting up from behind your rear end, get out there, <laughs> vote, start visiting these legislators that don't know a damn thing about prison life. Don't judge a book by its cover. Go inside a prison and meet some of them people in there. And you're going to realize that you've met more savages in the street where you live at mm-hmm. than in the prison. Mm. That is going to freak their minds. Don't sit here and tell me, no, but I know when you've never even been inside a prison, you don't know a damn thing. Go in there and visit them. Talk to them so that you can see the humanity side of them. That's why I don't allow people to call the insiders prisoners or inmates. No, that's not what they are. They're human beings just yeah. like us. They're either loved ones behind the walls, folks behind the walls, or incarcerated loved ones. And I don't care if I'm on on Zoom with the President of the United States or anything, I'm quick to pull that out. Please, can we direct them as insiders, those behind the walls, or our loved ones? Let's stop using them words, inmates and prisoners, because that's the name that the government has given them, and that's how they're treating them, and they don't need to hear that from us. My name is Sybil Richardson, and uh, my family is awaiting on a ruling regarding my husband's matter. I was just wondering if you might have any information on, like, an update on it. No, we don't have anything. Yeah, just slipped us on Monday. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Good weekend. Bye-bye. Civil again. Uh-huh. No, we don't have anything. All righty. Thank you so much. My twins will be 18 next month. They have absolutely no idea what it means to have a father in their house. What fathers even do. You just touched on something that's very important that a lot of people feel uncomfortable when we start pointing out the racism in these institutions that exist for centuries, right? A lot of people feel uncomfortable, but that's this, this is what our show is about. If you feel uncomfortable, and that's what we always say to Kevin, that means you you listening. Yes. We want you to feel uncomfortable because then you will start to react. You know, and like I said, it is what it is. It is what it is. There's a different law for blacks and brown people and there's a different law for poor whites and a different law for white people with a lot of money a lot of in the system they get treated different 
That's right. And that's, that's just right. how it is in America. This is not a Philadelphia thing. This is not no. a New York thing. This is not no. a San Francisco thing. No. This is an American problem. Yes. Anywhere the in the US, United States. Period. Anywhere in the yes. United States. If you yes. are, are, are a person of influence, you could get what they call just this. If you don't have, if you don't have that kind of influence or somebody that's behind you with that influence, you get just us. That's right. Come on. Means, Come on. Which means they will prosecute you, right? Put you in jail, and it would take decades, decades, decades. before you even get to your third level of appeal. Because a lot of yes. people think I will go and not appeal my case and they would listen. It takes sometimes 20 years for you to get to the to the, any state Supreme Court, let alone the United States Supreme Court. And most of the time, by the time you get there, you are time barred somewhere in between because yes. you miss a deadline or you don't have the proper resources to accumulate the evidence that's needed to prove your innocence. You know, and, and not and, that, and not only that, even when you go up on a on a board of pardons, now you need five people to say yes. Because if only four of them say yes and it only takes one to say no, that's it. And then the sad thing to that is that they look at the insiders for the crime that they committed so many centuries ago, so many decades ago, instead of looking at, let's see what they've done since they've been incarcerated. And even the Let's see who they've become since they've system. been incarcerated. And even the commutation process is a racism system. All the way up to two years ago, when your group, Cabby, and other groups started making noise, is when we saw the first, the first, Latino community since 1954. Because before that, there was no Latinos community. There was no, right. woman's, no woman's community. That's so right. You need to tell me that in all these decades, there's not one Latino in the state prison system that deserve a chance to have a sentence commuted or have sentence? Is you, is you kidding me? This is the same thing we've seen in different courts um, um, across the countries when it comes to juveniles. One state That's said right. you, you could go home. The other state said we don't feel you you rehabilitated. This morning, I think Jody Kent said um, justice by jurisdiction. This is what that's called. It's called justice by jurisdiction. Yeah. Depending yeah. on who you are and where you are, it's the brand of justice you get, period. And in Philadelphia, it's no different. If you are a rich entertainer or basketball player or whatever, you could possibly get some justice. Yes. If you yes. are a poor entertainer and don't have nothing, you would sit it out. That's probably two years down the line. Yeah, that's right. And that's just how it is in Philadelphia. So, you know, so to me, it is important that the world know that we are not alone. We have groups and groups of people. They are why they serving as watchdogs to the system. And they've yes. been doing that. Yes. So Philadelphia, we lucky enough now that we have a group of returning citizens, right? They are now in the community doing the same work that our advocates did while we was incarcerated. Yes. We're carrying the yes. torch now. We put in we put in, in that work. like the young boy say, right? But not every city have that. You know, Philly right. is a little strange city where you can come home and go straight into the advocacy world and start letting your voice ring. A lot of people don't have that. 
And the reason we able to do that is because of groups like you, like yours, that managed to create a platform for us. Because other than that, where else can we go if we don't have them type of groups? You know, so it's important that people understand we're not only dealing with an issue, we're dealing with a unique situation yeah. where Miss Diddy is only one. There's thousands of Miss Diddy's of yes. people that has their son murdered and then they yeah. had their sons accused of a crime in prison. But there's thousands of them that the system refused to talk to because yes. it's not according to what they're trying to sell. They don't go to their selling point. So I don't want to talk to Didi because she's not part of our selling points. And and that's why we brought you on the show because we want people to see like victims are not a separate class from the justice system. That's right. They make it out like that. They try to distinguish them. Oh, you separate yeah. them. We don't uh-huh. want to be the perpetrators. And at the same time, it's like, wait a minute, I got a son that's incarcerated or I got a sister or a grandson or a nephew. You know, yeah. four, four out of five people in Philadelphia know somebody incarcerated yes. or somebody incarcerated yes. or been affected by somebody. If you yes. live in a certain zip code, especially the 19133, 19140, these are zip code that have the highest rate of incarceration in Philadelphia. Yes. So I'm, I'm even afraid to ask you what zip code you come from because I already know the answer, right? <laughs> and, and to the world, into the world, it's almost it's the same thing in every city. Yeah. Zip codes determine the yeah. type of sentence you're going to get. Yes. It determines if you get parole or not because yeah. when you go up to the parole board and you coming from the one nine one three two. 19134, 19140. Yes. These are zip codes that traditionally they will not parole you to. That's right. Because they are considered what they call hot spots. Hot spots. So they fall mm-hmm. even after you complete your sentence, you are being discriminated on. Across the country, they have a policy where if you have a felony charge, you cannot live in public housing. Most of our folks don't own their own houses. That's right, that's right. public housing. So they thought, where am I supposed to go? Where am I supposed to go? That's, that's where right. my mother lived at. My mother lived in public that's right. been there for 40, 50 years. Yeah. Where am I supposed to go? You know, that's and right. this is the type of issues that we are addressing. I'm glad- And not only go. that, Suave, but when y'all come yeah. home, now y'all done did all these years, now they want to hit y'all with life parole. Oh, because they got to that. keep that chain on you. They got to keep that chain on y'all because no way. Okay, we can't keep you behind bars, but we're going to still keep you as an inmate. We're still going to keep you as a prisoner because you have to deal with lifetime parole. Come yeah. on now. That's 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 unfair. That's unfair. Y'all done did all these years. Damn it. When they let y'all go home, clean that plate straight, man. Why why give y'all a lifetime of parole? Are you kidding me? But that's because they're not gonna let y'all go completely. They're not gonna let y'all go completely. But guess what? Little do they know, oh, we won't fight that. Cause y'all gonna have to come up with a better solution than that. You know, I tell people this, and this is not a blank indictment on anybody, but I say that 
slavery really never ended. It just changed the name to incarceration. That's all. That's all. It's, it's modern slavery. They it just changed the way they go about slavery, but it's still slavery. The parole system is a little worse than the prison system. So for those that don't know, people think, "Oh, well, you free, you home." No, nah. I'm not. Nah. I'm not. If I want to cross to the next township, I got to ask for permission. That's if I right. cross the street to go to the um, um a shopping mall in Philadelphia, I got to ask for permission. If I, right. I if I want to travel, I got to ask for permission. Yes. If I want to buy a new home in Philadelphia, I got to ask for permission. If yes. I want a new job, I got to ask for permission. So if, if my parole officer feels like you get paid more than me, and you doing better than me work wise. I don't want you working that job. Then you don't work that job. That's right. I not know, and that's true. And that's just how it is, right? Yeah. So it's deeper than what a lot of people think, right? That's right. But a lot of people don't understand because they don't see us. They don't see. They hear about people like Miss Didi, but they don't see. They can't put a face. So to them, it's a fictional character we created to get yeah. sympathy. And I tell them, no, come down Allegheny Avenue and tell me. If this is not real or not That's right Because That's when you right. hit Allegheny Avenue It smells like a different world Yes It, it looks like a third a world country world. It looks like That's a third right. world country Yes you know, Whenever you You know it, it always blow my mind Whether you could stand in the corner Of Allegheny Avenue With four or five police cars there And somebody still shooting up heroin in front of the cop And nobody get arrested But yet you want to arrest me Because I got a bag of marijuana in my pocket Come on, come on now Come on I mean, what's wrong with this picture, (laughs) y'all? Everything Everything And what's wrong with this picture Is the racism that still exists in America Yes, that's what's wrong with that. Yes, a lot of people don't want to see it that way, but that's the way it is. That's right. That's That's just the way it is. It's the racism that exists in America. And and then let's address most of the people that come into these neighborhoods, right? Not only to commit crimes, but to feed their addiction. Are not even for these neighborhoods. They come from right. suburban Philadelphia. That's They're right. Coming from from Colorado and stuff. Outside we live in them communities. We get the the short stick. Uh, uh, That's the right. Short end of the stick because That's we don't right. want to pay the price. Yeah. So now we have a population of people that have become victims, right? And yeah. At the same time, they've been victimized. Yeah. So now we criminalize them. Mm-hmm. Now we have a whole scepter of the population that we can say they're all criminal. There's no good. But when you start talking to them and start searching for their story, you know what you're going to find out? That 90% of them are victims themselves. Yeah. yeah. And that the system really don't care. Yeah. And that if death by incarceration don't bring people like Miss Didi on, we never get to hear that side of the story. That's right. We only get one side. Which is the Jennifer Stone victim advocate Everybody away And don't want to talk to nobody But don't have no Latinos Or black people on their board Making decisions to deal with these people's lives And freedom That's right That's just the case And if somebody feel uncomfortable about what I'm saying Good It's That's right I want you to feel uncomfortable But the fact is The fact is We can't keep playing with people's lives that's you right. You can't keep using victims the same way that the district attorney used victims. 
Yeah. What are we doing? It's the same thing. As political pawns, we want to talk to you because I'm running a campaign against keeping people locked up. But when that's over, you go your way. I'm not going in your neighborhood. You come to suburban and talk to me. What are we talking about here, Philadelphia? Come on. What are come we talking on. about here, world? Come we on. talking about uh, institutional racism. Let's call that's it for right. what it is. Institutional right. racism. You know, my partner said something this morning that stuck with me. The civil rights just took place a couple of decades ago. It's not that old. It's not that old. How long racism has been in place? (laughs) How long racism has been in place? Forever and ever. So when we start talking about reforming the system, let's start talking about reforming that system. Let's start That's right. turning it down, like Miss Didi said from the beginning. Yeah. We need to turn it down from the bottom up and rebuild it. That's right, and rebuild it. There's nothing wrong with the system. We just got to break it down and rebuild it. Period. That's right. Let's do That's that. That's right. When we start talking about victims, let's start talking about the people that's been victimized and the people that have people inside too. And you know what you're going to get? You're going to get a different story. You're going to get a story of healing. That's right. Because most victims that I know there's been victims and they also have loved ones in prison they're not searching for revenge they want nope. healing how can we heal how can we yes. stop the next generation from engaging in this type of behavior and yes. this is why it's important that we bring people like Miss D on this show and I hope it's not the last time Miss D because you are a voice that America's about to be introduced And we glad to have you We know you've done a lot of shows But we're going to put you on the world stage Because <laughs> because we just think That people need Especially other victims That are thinking about forgiving The perpetrator But are afraid because other people Might think something other than About them They need to hear yeah. something like this They need to hear that yes. it's alright to be forgiven It's alright it's no, nobody's going yes. to consider you a monster, or because you don't right. forgive. You know, and most of the time, you don't forgive because you want that person to get out of jail. You forgive for your internal healing because yes. you want to move on and heal. You can't make nobody right about around you. That's right. The Kevin is on you. Well, I, I mean, there's been so much covered in this short time. We definitely have to have you back on, Miss Didi. I mean, there's the. Another time. See, now Suave has been booking guests the last few days, and I'm like, I could talk to them for hours, <laughs> you know, and never stop learning. And that's, I mean, so all all I'm really asking people is to be open to learning something new. All victims' rights advocates are not for harsher sentences and longer incarceration. All victims' rights advocates aren't about not forgiving the individual that harmed you. It honestly breaks my heart. And and you and I share something in common around recovery from drug addiction. That's such a a limited amount of people get to do and experience that level of amends, you know, and it's expected when you're trying to work through the steps and do other things in your life. Right. Right. And not only that, I I can say as someone who's been taken advantage by 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 addicts in my life many times given what i do for a living and having other addicts in my family including my own brother the greatest gift that i give myself on a daily basis is not asking somebody else for forgiveness but giving forgiveness that's a gift to me it unburdens me 
from that incredible and totally paralyzing anger that won't let me get out of bed, you know? And so I just ask that people try to learn something new, try to learn how to forgive, you know? And especially those that talk about wanting to be godly people, you know? It's one of the greatest things about Christianity, in my opinion, is forgiveness. Yes. And, and we are a Christian nation, and that what the politicians tell us. That's yeah. what they tell us. So, but I don't, so, yeah. we, so we should have a little more forgiveness in our heart. Oh, yeah. most that if we're to we're, those that like I tell everybody, I'm a Christian. I'm just not a perfect Christian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I'm I didn't get to that part where if you slap me on the left, I tell my pastor that somebody hit me on the left, we're gonna be fighting in your church, Pastor. <laughs> Then I'm going to ask God, please forgive me for losing because I'm not at that point yet. I wish I could say that I am, but I'd be a liar if I say that I am because I'm not. Now, am I at a point where I know how to forgive? Oh, yes, because God told me, if you don't forgive, I will not forgive you. Mm -hmm. And I want to be forgiven. So what we want to do, Ms. D, is because I always say this. can we keep you on as a guest speaker? Because we're going to be interviewing a bunch of other people. But that of I course. Think, that I think um your expertise would serve, right? And like I said, um, Death by Incarceration is, is a national show, but half of our interviewees are Philadelphia stories, right? Mm-hmm. And we always want to keep that because we're dealing with a state that's harsh on yes. Death by Incarceration. So we be we're gonna be definitely calling on you more than what you think, but we let you know ahead of time, yo, we gotta interview this 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 week with this person because we just feel that it's needed. Your expertise is needed in this. Mm-hmm. And why it don't do us no good to have a platform if we can't share it with that's right. that's doing this work because we get a lot of people that could benefit. Or mm-hmm. a lot of interviews that could benefit from what you're saying. Believe me, well, you have well, an ear. People will want to hear what you got to say. This is not something that's going on every day. So we just want to thank you from the bottom of our heart. No, thank you. Thank you. Define incarceration. Really thank you because we need this voice. So thank you. All right, Miss we'll Thank you. Nice meeting you, Kevin Swab. You know me and you, heart to heart. Always, always. You got my number, my brother. Always. Thank you. Thank y'all. Be blessed. You too. Peace. Next week, we talk to Eddie Ellis. I got in a situation where a guy pulled a gun on me for an incident that I had nothing to do with. He pulled out a gun and I pulled out a gun and fired a gun and he was hit. And unfortunately, he passed away. My life changed from that moment. Co-director of Outreach and Member Services at the Campaign for the Fair Sentencing of Youth. I'm I'm in a a very wonderful space where I can get a chance to fight to ban life without parole for children nationally. Where I can meet, you know, my brothers and sisters from around the nation that have been impacted by these death by incarceration sentences. We discuss his experience growing up in Washington, D.C., youth sentencing, and what it was like to be sentenced to life without parole as a 16-year-old. I admitted to, unfortunately, taking his life at that, at that time, which wasn't my intentions. But again, guns can do that, you know, and I take full responsibility for what took place at that time as well as now. Stay tuned for next week's episode. We really appreciate you listening.
This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.